Hello and welcome everyone to the Feelin' Film Podcast. I'm your host, Aaron White, fresh back on the ground in Seattle, Washington after my trip to the Toronto International Film Festival. You are here for reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free, so that's what you're going to get. In this series, I will be speaking about the films that I saw at TIFF 2023. Some of these do not have release dates yet. Others do. I'll let you know when I can what those are. But thank you for coming along for this journey. I hope that I can introduce you to some interesting and exciting new films to keep your eye out for. So without further ado, let's get into the reviews. I'm back with two new reviews that are connected by water. Yeah, that's what we're going to go with for this episode. The first film is called Nyad and has been picked up by Netflix. It stars Annette Bening, Jodie Foster, and Riss Ifans. It is directed by Chai Vasarhelyi and Jimmy Chin. It is written by Julia Cox and based on Find a Way, the biography by Diana Nyad. Cinematography is by Claudio Miranda. It is edited by Christopher Tellefson. And music is by Alexander Desplat. It runs 121 minutes and is rated PG-13 for thematic material involving sexual abuse, some strong language, and brief partial nudity. What's it about? Nyad tells the remarkable true story of athlete Diana Nyad, who, at the age of 60 and with the help of her best friend and coach, commits to achieving her lifelong dream, a 110-mile open-ocean swim from Cuba to Florida. Now, the number one takeaway from this film is just how incredible Annette Bening's performance is. She's on another level as the titular athlete Diana Nyad. Honestly, it's completely stunning work, and I would be shocked if she was not nominated for and potentially one of the frontrunners for an Oscar Best Actress Award next spring. The character is not likable, and she nails that persona so well. She's rugged, she's rigid, she's determined and antisocial, and just completely obsessed at some points with achieving this particular goal. And Annette Bening really commits to this she does so physically as well. I know training for over a year to get into shape to perform the amount of swimming that she would have to do for this film. And there is a lot of this movie that takes place with her in the water. I just was really blown away by the effort that she gave and by her ability to completely embody this athlete. We really get to see the intensity if Diane and Nyad has in her just absolute refusal to give up, potentially to her own endangerment. She's not really emotional about anything other than completing this swim. I think it just totally shows what the real Diane and Nyad was like, and that is precisely what I want from a biopic like this. Now, the award-winning married couple Behind the picture, the two directors, Chai Vasarhelyi and Jimmy Chin, they are known for being documentarians and documentarians who really lean into capturing stories about people 
who spend their lives in the outdoors or extreme athletes of various types. I really have enjoyed their films previously. In fact, they've become just some of my favorite filmmakers of any kind with their work on Free Solo and The Rescue. And I was very fascinated to see how this was going to turn out because it's their first feature film, their first dramatic storytelling. I really think they did a great job. They bring a little bit of that documentarian flair to this by mixing in the occasional archival footage or the occasional archival audio of actual people that are in the story. I know that some people might find that a little bit distracting, but personally, I thought the blending was well done, and it added a lot to this. It helped make it really feel like we were going through a dramatized retelling of an event in an informational way that was still entertaining and was minimally dramatized or enhanced to just make it more movie-like. I think that they pretty much stuck to the script, and they did so while still keeping the energy high and keeping it captivating to watch. It's impossible to take your eyes off of. Diana's story is just truly spectacular, and I really enjoyed learning all about what it took to accomplish this goal. I mean, even throw out the fact that her body is that of a 60-plus-year-old woman at this point. Like, the odds were stacked against her. I had no idea that this kind of long-distance swim across open ocean typically was done with a boat trailing beside the swimmer. The swimmer can't touch the boat, and the people on the boat that are there to support can't touch the swimmer, or else it becomes invalidated. So, for example, to feed Diana to give her energy and nutrients back that she was losing in huge amounts as she was completing this constant swim, they would have to like use basically uh, a camelback and feed her through a tube. It's wild to see what goes into this and what kind of team around her is necessary to help you know, prevent the danger of potential sea creatures that could cause a major problem, or any number of issues that could go wrong medically. Now, in addition to Annette Benning, Jodie Foster is in the film as the primary supporting character, and she is phenomenal as well. She plays Diana's best friend and coach, Bonnie. She sticks with a very difficult person through years of attempts, and she makes plenty of sacrifices of her own to help Diana achieve her goal. Both the real Diana and Bonnie were heavily involved in the production and coached Jody and Annette. So I got the vibe that these were incredibly authentic performances and, and I appreciated that. I mean, these are two outstanding actresses really embodying the characters and the relationship between them that wasn't completely sanitized. Likewise, on the great performance front, Reese Efans gives a wonderful turn as a boat navigator that joins the team. This is a person that was responsible for keeping Diana on course during her swim when the currents and the weather would be apt to push her off and make it completely impossible to complete. So his job was critical, and he has to make quite a few sacrifices over the years himself in order to be part of this endeavor. This was an largely, if not completely, volunteer effort 
for several of the attempts after the first few go wrong when they had some sponsor backing. And the people involved in this around Diana, to me, were just as interesting to learn about as the main character herself. If there's one real negative to speak about, I would say that it's just an ill-advised addition of sort of frequent flashbacks to Diana's time on a youth swim team in which she experienced grooming and sexual abuse from her swim coach. I believe the intent of these segments was to show Diana's determination in overcoming these awful demons of her past. And yet, I don't think that it really hit home in that way because we never see current day Diana as feeling like she needs to overcome these demons. She's not talking about it. She's not discussing using this swim as a means of getting past this trauma that she's carried with her her entire life. And so it's sort of operating tangentially and it's more like just giving us constant backstory that I guess also helps to make you want to root for her. But I rooted for her plenty just because I thought it was an incredible athletic achievement that was being completed. I just don't think that the material was utilized in the best way, even if it is part of her real life and something that was important to this story. So maybe that's somewhere that two documentarians by nature can learn from this and be able to, I think, more tactfully and deftly blend that into their more fictional storytelling in the future. Regardless, this is sure to be one of the award season's most rousing and inspirational films. It's about a real-life icon who willed herself to achieving the impossible by never giving up on a dream. Who can't relate to that? Who can't get inspired by that? Nyav will be available in select theaters on October the 20th. It's a great one to see with a large audience. But then it'll be streaming on Netflix on November the 3rd for everyone else who can't make it out to a theater to catch this film. And I highly recommend you check it out when it is on Netflix. For the other review this episode, we have The King Tide coming to us from the distribution company VVS Films in Canada. It stars Alex West Leffler, Francis Fisher, Laura Jean Chorostecki, Clayne Crawford, Michael Grayeyes, Emily Pigford, and Aidan Young. It is directed by Christian Sparks, and it is written by William Woods and Albert Shin. Cinematography is by Mike McLaughlin. It is edited by Justin Oakey, and music is by Andrew Staniland. It runs 100 minutes. What's it about? After the mayor of an idyllic village discovers a child with mysterious powers awash on their shores, the once peaceful community devolves into civil war, torn over the belief that the child is the next savior. Now, I was drawn to this particularly just because of this fascinating premise that has a lot of superhero vibes to it. A mysterious girl washes up on the shore as a baby. It's kind of got a Jesus slant to it. She has healing powers. This island is cut off from the world and she is integrated into their community. There's two big things at play here. One is the impact of her healing powers on their way of life, how they come to rely on her and how they feel they can't go on if she's not there. And then on the other hand, you have 
the part about this being an island community that has cut themselves off from the rest of humanity intentionally. They ban television and radio. It's very limited interactions with the outside world, if any, and they just don't allow it. They decided they wanted to be and live by themselves, on their own, for whatever reasons. And that can result in some interesting choices that they have to make in order to ensure that they can remain hidden. Now, after Isla has been found, we kind of cut to the age of her as a younger girl, probably elementary school aged. The town now uses her for their own benefit. She's replaced their normal medical clinic with routine sessions where people can come and get fixed for whatever ails them and potentially extend their lifespans is what I feel like the story is telling us. They seem kind of cultish about it. They have this chant that they recite anytime they visit her and she does her wonders. Many thanks to Isla, they say, as she performs these miracles for them. And the fact remains that Throughout the film and throughout her life, she just has very little free will. And that is a big part of how her character progresses towards the end of this movie. At some point, the town's fishing bounty starts to dry up. And their biological clocks start ticking again as Isla's powers strangely start to wane. And this causes tensions to arise on the island between the mayor and the adopted parents of Isla and some of the other community members about how they are going to progress and how are they going to manage this crisis that is causing a major disruption to the way of life that they've become accustomed to since having Isla join them. At the same time as this happening, unbeknownst to them, Isla has seemed to develop a new power and that is to take life. We see it take place at one moment specifically, and the only person that knows about this is her close childhood friend, but she maybe accidentally kills a swarm of insects. And so we start to wonder if the change is occurring in her and what that might mean for the people on the island and for Isla herself. The world building is extremely interesting. Like That is the crux of this entire movie. It's a fascinating idea. And the story does a pretty solid job of depicting this isolated community and how they can turn to dark means in order to protect what they've built. They can turn on each other anytime someone begins to start threatening their status quo. It feels like a slow burn thriller more so than a straight drama. And by the end, you might even consider this a tad bit in the horror genre. Visually, it's a little bit drab, honestly. The island is not particularly beauteous, and the interiors are just a bunch of kind of simple buildings that these people have built. The story builds to a shocking ending, and one that turns disturbingly violent as Isla begins to exhibit some free will of her own. But I felt that something was missing and still came away a little bit disappointed. The main reason for that is just the lack of details about Isla, where she came from, why she has these powers, why her powers are changing from healing to life-sucking. How does she control them? And then the broader impact of how that affects 
the island community or could have and the world at large outside of it. Ambiguity isn't always a bad thing, but the story is so confined to this singular space and time, and I didn't feel like it quite earned the drastic shift that happens towards the end, nor the way that it leaves the story off when the credits roll. I just wanted something more. I wanted it to feel more complete, and I wanted more information about all of this that was happening. But despite not feeling like there's any one spectacular element for the film, or even that it was the kind of story that was going to stick with me for a long time, I really enjoyed this spin on a powerful child who had the ability to save versus hurt, as opposed to a story like Stephen King's Carrie, which is something that I think will inevitably invoke comparisons to this movie. It's a good film, and if you get a chance to check it out eventually, I would encourage you to do so, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the director does next. Um, I like people that take chances and make movies like this. Even if it's not a humongous hit, I'd rather watch something like this that takes a chance than something generic and repetitive over and over and over again. Unfortunately, this film has not have a release date yet, but keep an eye out for any time you see information on The King Tide and give it a watch if you get a chance to. Well, that's it for this episode of TIFF Reviews. Thank you, as always, for listening. Thank you for watching. Please like, subscribe, share the podcast. I say it all the time. Can't say it enough. That's the best thing you could do for us. If you are so inclined, you could also leave a positive five-star review and some kind words anywhere that you possibly can. That helps a lot as well. But most of all, I appreciate you for caring about my opinion, and I hope that I am giving you information to aid in your movie-watching decision-making. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filled.